today on Krina and Kirsten Get to Work, we're talking about, wait, what are we talking about? Close, Krina, close. That's right. Perfect. Close. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Welcome to Krina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Kirsten Barron. And I'm Krina Hoyer. And we are so glad that you have joined us today. As most of our fabulous listeners and friends know, we're talking about bringing ease, meaning, and joy to your workplace, particularly for women at work. So we're so glad you're here. And we're going to get us some of that good stuff today. And as a reminder, we... What? Oh, I was going to say talking about clothes. I just like to interrupt you. That's my thing. <laughs> and thank God, because I could go on and on. Somebody stop me. Thank you, dear friend, for stopping me. Oh, my God. You were about to say something important, though. I know it. I was about to say we are recording from the land of the Coast Salish people, and it is breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah, especially today, still blanketed Mm -hmm. in in snow. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the introduction. I have to just take us off topic immediately and say... Excellent. I've started uh, saying my name but I draw out the last part of my last name. And I don't know, I don't mean to do it, but I've noticed I've started to do it. I'm Krina Hoyer. Do, do it. Oh, interesting. I'm Krina Hoyer. And I'm Krina That's Hoyer. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's, it's almost probably like all of this. Right? It's like yeah. a dot, 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 like, and? I don't know. It's like we're all waiting for something special, which we are. <laughs> totally. It's like. We're all ready for the next special thing. I hope. It, I hope. I, I mean, we're ready for it. I hope we can deliver. Oh, my God. Speaking of deliver, di- listener, did you notice Kirsten's doing the call-in thing again? Yeah. Yeah. COVID. Dun, dun, dun. Calling in instead of face-to-face. You know, as you all know, I uh, had COVID and recovered. Well, you don't know, but I have recovered from COVID. My whole family uh, came down with it. But now we're so knee-deep in this current wave that Kirsten and I are being ultra safe for her mm-hmm. and the rest of the folks that come in contact with us. So we're going to be recording remotely, at least for this one and maybe one more. Yeah, we'll see. And then we hope to be back at it. It's okay, though, right? Like, it's all part of resilience, which, of course, we just talked about a couple weeks yep. ago. With, which I have really it drawn on that. I mean, I have drawn on that a lot the last couple of weeks as we have just really been in the thick of the COVID thing, in the thick of the weather thing, you know, and of course, there's always the news and politics. If you just need something to really, you know, bring you down, go ahead and get involved in that. I know, right? But it is funny how that episode more so than a lot, I'm not gonna say that episode in particular now felt very timely for both of us. And I like you. Yeah, I've kind of leaned on it. I've leaned on that. too. So what are you leading on? What have you taken away from that that you found super helpful? I just think that when the day kind of delivers a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more to deal with, um, and I feel myself getting impacted by it in a way that I normally wouldn't um, sucked into the pit of despair is yeah, what just I refer kind of, to yeah, it as. Just, yeah. 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 Just kind of feeling a little bit down, um, farther feel like I'm getting pulled that farther down than I normally would. Um, I think the thing that I've been leaning on is just remembering, trying to get perspective, remembering that this is okay. 
This is not, you know, the end of the world. This is not a life sentence. It's not forever. And then trying to just really focus on the things that I control. Most notably, kind of my own attitude. Like, okay, Karina, remember, you're warm. You're happy. Do things that make you feel good. Do things Mm -hmm. that make you feel yada, yada. How about you? So acceptance, acceptance. Yep. And then your mental agility around how you perceive and look at the problem and the information you draw in to make sense or not of it. Yep. Right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Those two things. Nice recap. And then... Well, yeah, thank you. And then (laughs) for me, for me, I think it's more about what I direct my attention to. For sure, I do the acceptance and I try and have some mental agility, (laughs) not always arising for me, but I really am focusing, like, what do I choose to focus my attention on? Yeah. Um, Mr. Brin, my beloved, asked me to watch this show on CNN. And I was like, mm, I can't do it. He's like, oh, it's so good. I'm gonna, I'm just making me cry. I need to, need to watch it with me. And I was like, oh, can't do it. Can't do it. So I really am making sure that I'm focusing my attention on things that are going to bring me up as opposed to down. You know what I mean? Yeah, Especially so when there's a when there's a choice around it. You, what do you, what's an example of something brings you up? Oh, I love reading. I love reading. You know, I love exercise. Mm-hmm. I find it like almost spiritually fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I, I have added as a daily practice part of my 2022, you know, kind of what do I want for 2022 with the daily practice of being outside, oh, which I, I know that. you've done forever. Yep. And that is bringing me a tremendous amount of joy and peace. Are you finding even just like the 10 minutes out on the on the porch? you know, looking at the birds or watching the trees. Yeah. Yes. But this not just walking to my car, right. But this intentional moment of being outside Mm -hmm. for me and oftentimes at night, frankly. Oh, interesting. Cause that's when Mm -hmm. you can pull it off or do you like it magical? Yeah. I think it feels magical to me. Uh huh. Yeah. The outside for me has a, especially during the daytime, has a particularly unique ability to, to um, sharpen my focus. So when I'm out, oh, yes. you know what I mean? When Absolute, I'm outside, yeah. I notice the hellebores are breaking through the frost or the crocus are coming up or mm-hmm. the tree. Wow, it's really windy in the treetops, etc. And kind of it really does sharpen my focus. It makes me, cr- I will, I agree with you completely. When I, like I find sometimes when I walk back from getting something for lunch, I feel crisper. Mm-hmm. Just crisper. Yep. As if the world didn't need a more crisp uh, Kirsten Barron, I have to say. You're like, <laughs> you're so on point and crisp and no, focused. Uh, people, yeah, sometimes, yes, but a lot of times I'm like, Ugh. no. But I think this is, this draws me to the point, which is that it has been heavy. Yeah. Things have been heavy, you know, and even just setting our intentions for the new year is heavy lifting. I mean, it's fun, it's interesting, but it's heavy lifting. This whole conversation about resilience and where we are in the world, heavy lifting. So when I got this letter from listener Barbara about the pandemic purge, (laughs) I was like, right on. Let's yes. Let's talk about clothes for God's sakes. Let's just talk about something easy. Let's just. Yeah, we thought. We thought, we thought it was going to be easy. Yeah, of course we thought, oh, clothes, it's going to be fun and light and da 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 Turns out not so much. Yeah, especially when I get my hands all over it. <laughs> you saw the edits I made to our um, our notes. So Kirsten and I, when we do the, these shows, I mean, this is not scripted, as you know, but we certainly think about what we're going to say and kind of at least put some notes Despite together. Despite how it may paper. appear, yeah. we think about what we're going to say. <laughs> So this morning before we recorded, Kirsten, you know, gets a chance to see what I added to our notes. And it's dun, dun, dun. 
No, it's not that it, bad. But, you know, it's interesting. In prepare, see, we both come at things very differently, right? Mm-hmm. And so in preparing for this, I listened to like an hour and a half of TED Talks about clothes. Mm-hmm. Just to really get a sense of, you know, what are people talking about? What's out there? What's happening? What are the ideas? And, um, you know, we'll touch on these things a little bit, but we do hope that this is kind of a lighter, like, conversation and thought process about, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about Barbara's article to me, which is from the Wall Street Journal. And it's so interesting because it's about the pandemic purge. And Anne-Marie Chalker is the is the writer. She's the journalist. And she has this article where she goes through like gathering the information about what's happening with people and their clothes. And it turns out there's like this mass closet purge happening. Yeah. And I read the article literally the day after I did my own closet purge yeah and you sent it to me and i was doing it too it was so so, on point and it turns out like 75 percent of people are doing the same thing yeah which you know i have to say as somebody who frequently moves clothes on and purges my closet it didn't seem like what i was doing was particularly new but then but then but but you know because as a as a habit i do that anyway but what i was getting rid of and the volume and the reasons were me too totally different and again resonated with me when i read this article so she's saying uh, so 75 percent of people are not only getting rid rid of clothes they are doing what, what we did which is getting rid of all of those special no not even special um kind of the- oh the the more formal the things that don't quite fit your lifestyle anymore you know for me it was wow do i really need all these dresses do i really need i don't want these suits anymore like wearing a suit to work right now i mean if i had to go to court it might be different but wearing a suit to work right now just feels ridiculous like wearing sequins yeah. to the office yeah and it's so funny because i feel the same way i did i i even went through like leggings like who gets rid of their leggings or their tights, right? Like your, your tights are going to last you for the rest, you know, like as long as I don't have yeah. a run in them, why do you need to get rid of them? I haven't worn tights in three years. It's like, why am I hanging on to these things? These tights. Yeah. yeah. Pantyhose. But, yeah. But what you were in high heels and what whatnot. And I think every, every, uh, the, the, the folks that she was interviewing in this article and us ha- had that same thought, like this suit jacket to work seems ridiculous. But I, I wonder also if it's because, Everyone, if you show up in a suit, but three days ago, people saw you in Zoom in your bedroom where your camera, where your home office is, you know, Mm -hmm. wearing a hoodie. It's like we've just become so much more authentic, I guess, in our presentation. Authentic, yes. And I think the bandwidth for what we accept is really different, right? Yeah. Um, like I now, my, when I, we are partially back to the office, some people fully back at the office, although maybe not right now, we'll have to see, but, um, I am like now wearing kind of, you know, um, skinny, skinny pants, maybe not jeans, but skinny pants and boots, right. And a long sweater or a long sweater jacket as opposed to the suit. And I just, you know, I've kind of been moving in that direction for years. I think the professional world has. But wow, what a big shift for me personally anyway. And it seems like based on this article that other folks are doing, I always think I'm unusual. And then I realize, oh, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we're not that special. I w- you are. We are all. We all are. are very, yeah, yes, but yes. you know what I mean? Like, I always think, oh, I'm having this experience nobody else is having. And I'm like, oh, no, everybody's having it. Yeah. So it's interesting because, again, we're all having this experience. And I think a lot of us are doing the same things for the same reasons. One of the quotes in this article, though, I found to be a little bit jarring. The author or I'm sorry, the author interviews a woman named uh, Peyton Dale. I think it's a woman, a stylist. A stylist. Yeah. Yeah. And Peyton says during COVID, this is a direct quote, during COVID, we had to live with ourselves for a long time. And so it gave us time to think like, wait, what do we actually like? So many of us are walking around conveying this fake persona of what we think we're supposed to be. I thought that was really interesting on a couple of levels because I was like, wait a minute. The clothes that I wore pre-COVID weren't some fake expression of me. I kind of think that's a bullshit assumption to make. I think they were based on what I thought were social norms. I think my clothes were in some cases, uh, an expression of myself within quote unquote acceptable limits. I think that the clothes pre by pre pandemic wardrobe was also a nod to the formality of some of our interactions that we had. Mm -hmm. And now Mm -hmm. kind of mid or hopefully soon to be post pandemic, all of those norms and expectations have changed. And so why wouldn't my wardrobe change right along with them? And I, it's that question of, is it really like the, the individual is personally fake or is the individual carrying around societal expectations or norms, you know, the social overlay? Um, I can remember when I was a brand new lawyer being in an arbitration against another female lawyer who is very smart and who just happens to also be incredibly beautiful and stylish. And she wore to the arbitration sandals with her suit, open-toed sandals. And I remember for about five minutes being horrified. Oh, oh my God. She wore an open-toed shoe to a court proceeding, a legal proceeding. I mean, an arbitration is not in court, but it is a legal proceeding. And I look back on that self and those societal expectations that I was putting on that other woman And I'm, you know, pretty horrified, frankly, but it's a reflection of what the norms were. So I agree. Sometimes it's not us being fake individually. It's just recognizing that what's expected of us doesn't fit so well. That story is really interesting to me for a couple of reasons. But most notably, the fact that you were incensed about open-toed shoes. That tells me that your profession is almost like on one end of the spectrum. Like the legal profession. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We are just we are just short of a military uniform. What do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like people in the military wear a uniform. That's what you wear. And you don't do this. and You don't do that. We're not that. But we're especially when I began practicing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I remember being told over and over again in law school, do not let what you are wearing distract anybody from what you are saying. Mm-hmm. You don't want anybody to think about anything else except for what you're saying. And so it's just it, this whole and that is I don't think that that's true anymore. I don't think that lawyers are necessarily so tied to how they're dressed. It has really shifted. And I do think that this pandemic purge that we've been talking about has kind of put the what do you call that the accelerator 
on that process. Yeah. But I do think that whether or not folks were in the, you have to wear, you know, the high heels and the power suit mm-hmm. culture, and the regardless mm-hmm. of where you work, there are expectations for how you're going to dress. I mean, when I was working oh, yeah. in the environmental field, if I showed up dressed like a lawyer, I would also, somebody would probably also be incensed. If you're wearing, you know, like. And here's the deal. What if you showed up in fur? Oh, right. Yes, exactly. A fur collar on your coat. No, exactly. In some circles, You would have no credibility. Right, exactly. So regardless of what your profession is, there are some of these norms. What's interesting about all of this, too, is that clothes have been kind of used as as a political tool. Clothes have been used as not only just self-expression, they have been used to impact society, to make bold statements, to make... Mm -hmm change you found some great research about stuff from way back way back so when i think about clothes right why we pick clothes like they make us feel good either because they literally physically make us feel good um they feel like they're an expression of who we are or they're an appropriate uniform or they help us play a particular role it can make you feel good or feel better to be prepared for a particular role like for me going to court gives you confidence when you're dressed appropriately, right? I'm ready for that role. They communicate who we are, right? I remember also seeing when I first started working out in Grace Harbor County, which is much more rural than any place I'd ever been, uh, a lawyer showed up to work in a plaid flannel shirt, uh, not to work, to the courthouse in a plaid flannel shirt. I was like, wow, I've never seen that before, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So it's like, I did not even see him as a lawyer until he opened his mouth and started talking because he was in a flat flannel shirt. So flat, plaid, 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 flannel shirt. <laughs> but what I, so, so I recognize that that's a lot about clothes, right? But what's interesting to me was thinking about women and clothes over the years and how they reflect kind of our feminist movement mm-hmm. and how we have learned to express ourselves or evolved. I'm going to use the word evolved because I think it's better than learn how we've evolved. So in the late 19th and early 20th century, when the suffragettes were trying to get the right to vote and nobody would listen to them, they really changed the way they appeared. Like they would wear green, they would wear white, they would wear violet. Those colors were shorthand for give women votes. Right. Give green, women votes. white, violet. Green, white, violet. They wear jewelry. Of course, they had the white clothes. And so they were communicating in how they wore, not just with the white clothes they wore, which are iconic now, but in what they were saying about what they wanted politically. And then later, you know, we see this whole bloomers, you know, the big pants. Remember that? Yeah. The big pants, the, the man pants that they then started to wear and adopt as an expression of their you know, freedom, like it's much easier to do things in pants. And then of course we get, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the eighties, which was when I was um, in college and law school, women dressed like men, big shoulder pads, ties, bows, suits. So interesting. In the eighties, it was this like attempt to act like really tap into this social and economic capital that men really had the corner market on still. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not, I didn't, I didn't, I forgot to add this time, you know, in the time frame. but don't forget about miniskirts in the sixties. Yeah. It was so liberating yeah. miniskirts, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, so it's interesting when I look back on clothes and what they have said about 
women evolving into their place in the world. Clothes have also been used, has have been weaponized in some ways against women. And oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I, for sure. I, so you just said kind of it's helped women evolve their place in the world and in some cases keep women in their place. And and one personal story I can say that I, I recall seeing one of our local middle schools, actually, there were a whole bunch of girls who decided that they wanted to um, just dress up one day. They all just decided to dress up. It was not a political act. They just wanted to look cute. And many of them got sent home to change. This is like five years ago, not that long ago. They got sent home. Yeah, maybe less. Yeah. yeah they got sent home to change pretty cause, recently because their dresses were too short. And it turned this whole it turned into this whole uh, community conversation about why are you sexualizing 12 year olds? These girls are just, you know, these girls just wanted to look pretty. And this is what they thought. This was an expression of them. It was a bizarre. Do you remember that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it was like, I remember somebody said to me, um, and don't forget, I just said I came from this world of don't let what you wear distract people from what you say. Yeah. And if people are distracted by your short skirt, you shouldn't wear the short skirt, right? I think that's wrong. I think that's up to the person who is viewing to recognize that the two-year-old in the little short tutu, right? Yeah. There's nothing sexual about that. And why is there something sexual about a 11 or 12-year-old in a short skirt because she's dressing up? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't make it, it was very helpful to me to be like, wow, that makes total sense to me. It's not in... It's in the eye of the viewer who chooses to sexualize. Right, right. Yeah. And to put that on. And so it's just really interesting. Like, so when we said we just wanted to do a light subject, let's talk about clothes. Digging I know, into it. And we're like, what the hell? <laughs> no, but yeah, digging into it. It's like, oh, my God. There, you know, there's this paradox, which is my new favorite word. I'm going to use it like 500 times in the next year between you know, women using clothes to take back their power or make some sort of ex uh, so social or political expression or express who they are authentically. And then the other side of it is, you know, judgment and control mm -hmm. and even def like defining professionalism. And we talked about right. women of you color. You look too masculine. Yeah. You look too feminine. All the twos. But I just view this, Krina, as we've already been stuck right? We've already been put in the box of the expectation. So this is a process of continuing to take off the sides of the box, right? Yes. So I think we've been in the box. And now, you know, this is just a process of us unleashing ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and the process, as you indicated, has been going on for over a century, and it's going to continue to go on. Clothing have a, has a really interesting impact on your mental state, too, right? Like, I mean, we, yes. were, we were talking, we were talking earlier and found a fair bit of research. There's actually, uh, um, you're laughing. What are you cracking up about? I'm laughing about the fact that there's something called the psychology of fashion and something called enclosed cognition. Yeah. Yeah. People study this stuff. There's a really cool, I read one study that of um, th this team of researchers put people in lab coats, in uh, doctor's coats, and they had, they ran them through this process where they were asked to, I think they're just looking for detail, like find the f 10 things that are wrong with this picture or whatever. And the people in the doctor's coats performed 50% better than the people in street clothes. That's so interesting. And then they had them look at the um 
doctor's coat. They didn't even have to wear it. They just primed people to be looking at the doctor's coat and had similar impact. It was like what they were wearing or what they were thinking they were representing just simply by being associated with this doctor's coat changed their mental capacity. I thought it was fascinating. Even more fascinating, if that same coat was an artist's coat, they didn't perform as well. Interesting. Yeah, bizarre. Not to say that artists can't look, you know, artists are mad for detail, but the stories that the people told themselves about sort of the official nature of this doctor's coat versus the casual and creative nature of the artist's coat changed how they performed on these studies. So your clothes really do Mm -hmm. impact your mental state. You know what's so interesting? Do you remember the chef's coat that you gave me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you've said to me, the chef's coat makes the food taste better, right? Oh, hundred percent. In fact, my dad even said that to me when I served food, served him food. He said, oh my God, I think that chef's coat makes this food taste so much better. I wore it to do my big, my big holiday thing, you know, last month or whatever that was now. And I think it may be more efficient. Oh, hell yeah. I guarantee it did. I was just like zippity-zoppity-zoo. I was like my own sous chef <laughs> and my own head chef, all in one human, because I had the coat on. Did you feel like you were on like a cooking show? Half the time I feel like I'm on a cooking show when I'm wearing yeah, that totally. chef's coat. Mm-hmm. And it's for that very reason. There are other studies, though, that kind of point to very, very interesting things about how we feel. Not just how we yeah. perform at work, but also how we feel. Like... um, and I'm not going to cite every study, but one set of researchers found that, you know, wearing casual clothes makes us more relaxed and more friendly and more accessible to folks. You know, you can imagine the whole power clothes, the suit, the the uniform, Kirsten, that you grew up yes. professionally wearing. And it turns out that the, the, the data support, the studies support that when you wear the kind of lawyer clothes, it makes you perform better analytically and have more dominance, which yes. is, which I was like, oh my, it was like this aha moment where like the sun shone on this issue. Why is it that we dress like this? That's the two things lawyers want. And they want to be negoti- analytical. Oh. Yep. And more dominant in a negotiation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And again, those clothes also said, yeah, you become a better negotiator. So mm-hmm. oddly enough, casual clothes create this like more friendly and relaxed feeling in your head. It's not what you're signaling to the world. It's like in your brain. And then the suit jackets make you more dominant and um, better negotiator. No wonder you're just so overbearing, Kirsten. I can't even handle it. I'm so dominant, which I am. I mean, I reckon that's something I have to really work on. But so, and here's what I've really, in a kind of a lighter kind of an individual way, like I have this banker friend who obviously banker, very conservative, wears the craziest socks, like just nutty, crazy socks, which I think is his way of expressing a bit of himself through that uniform. Yeah. And that same article talked about how kind of the hidden clothes, even underwear and socks Mm -hmm. can change the way you feel sassier or sexier or whatever. It's not even, you don't even have to see it. Other people don't even have to see it. You know, one thing that resonated with me that I read was this whole colorful thing. When people who are wearing colorful clothing actually generate more of the kind of the pick me up hormones, those feel good hormones. And I I don't know if you remember me 
making some declarative statement about I'm only going to buy colorful clothes for yes. winter. And I, I, I know I feel more chipper and cheery in colorful clothes. And in fact, the opposite of that is true. When you wear dark colored clothes, you're a little bit more somber. Sorry, KB. But, I know. But I remember going to my wardrobe and I wanted to wear something colorful because it made me feel more energized or had a little pick me up um, emotionally. And in the winter, you know, I feel like I need that. And I didn't have any. I didn't have any colorful clothes. I'm like all gray, black, white, and brown. And so I had to make this conscious effort to start to fill my closet with colorful clothes. And for that, and now backed by science, I'm not crazy. There is a Well, reason. I have those yellow pants. You know the yellow pants. Yes. Yes. I mean, I do have the yellow pants. You have so orange I pants. I put, orange I pants, have, too. I have bright orange pants. I have yellow pants. Yeah. My yellow pants are the happy pants. You got it. Yeah. And backed by science. It's interesting. Backed by science. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you said something that I absolutely love and I'm going to repeat it a million times. And that is I act different when I'm wearing sequins. Like I oh, love yeah. I love hanging out with you no matter what. But I really love dress up Kirsten. I love hanging. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Dress up Kirsten is fun. She's super fun. I don't know where she lives most of the time. But as soon as I put on. That's why I love velvet so much. You know how I love velvet? Yes. Yes. And I think it's one of the reasons I love velvet because it's like the almost the more acceptable form of sequins. Oh. Like I, I couldn't wear sequins to like, you know, somebody's dinner, a dinner party or, a, you know, to go have a glass of wine somewhere. But velvet, I can get away with it. It just makes me feel effective. Yeah. But I want to challenge that what you just said. Is that the open toed shoes? judgy ladies coming out when you say you can't wear sequins to go have a drink because I would oh I think there's a little bit of that fair enough friend fair you, enough you can wear sequins fair you can yes I could you can wear sequins but all, so so obviously what you wear affects your mood we have to though point to a couple of other things with the fat with regards to fashion before we move on um, if you don't mind one is what you wear can infect the infect can affect the environment infect is exactly the right word actually what you wear can and does infect the environment yeah and so i want to talk a little bit about isn't that, that word and you didn't mean to use that no. word but it actually is a better word yeah i think thank yeah. you you know me all of my mess ups are good doesn't matter what they they're are. so good it's so intuitive right <laughs> So there are environmental consequences to what we wear. There are also consequences to other women who work in the garment industry. I'm going to talk just a teeny bit about those two things before we move on. There are a lot of campaigns actually in the world right now trying to kind of turn the tide on the garment industry because in the last, I'm going to say since the 2000s, we've really really ramped up clothing protection. There's this now new new term called fast fashion. In fact, clothes for the most part are designed to only be worn a couple of times before they fall apart. They're cheaply made and they're cheap to buy. And then we're not supposed to wear them forever. I remember reading somewhere a long time ago, not um, recently, about how you, know, you used to buy a piece of clothing and the expectation was that you were going to wear it for multiple seasons or multiple, like you bought a winter coat, you're going to wear that coat until it wears out. And we would have like four seasons of clothing, um, mm -hmm. winter, spring, summer, fall. And now I think we have like 20 seasons of clothing. Yeah. And that you, yeah, something like that. I mean, don't, don't quote me on it for the love of God. Don't quote me on anything, you know, me. but, the, the, <laughs> but 
it's something ridiculous like that. Like you're supposed to, you, yeah, there are like 20 seasons and we replace our clothes all the time. And all of that has a huge uh, contribution to um, environmental pollution. We produce these clothes in countries with poor environmental protections and mostly use coal to run those factories, which um, equals climate change. I mean, so there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in the environment when we do not choose durable, when we buy synthetic, when we buy and throw away and buy and throw away, or even don't wear, donate, or you donate. buy and don't wear This is the crazy thing. That survey that you found that said 20% of clothing in the U.S. is never worn never. and 50% of clothing in the U.K. is never worn. Yes. What is yeah. that? And how many things are in the closet that you maybe wore once or twice or didn't wear at all, still has a tag on it, but you, you know, that end up at a consignment store that nobody buys or ends up, you know, just getting tossed. 20% never worn. That's insane. The other uh, interesting thing I thought was really, though, the statistic about um, women in the garment industry. So all these garments that we're pumping out are produced by women and they're produced by women in countries that don't have the same um, kind of Worker protections. Worker protections. There's an estimated 60 million workers who power the global garment industry, and 80% of those workers are female. So this is really an interesting issue that affects women. And this industry is notorious for just terrible working conditions and low wages and forced overtime, et cetera, et cetera. And so not only what you wear, not only does what you wear affect your the physical sort of personification of who you are, it doesn't, it affects how people perceive you. It affects how you perceive yourself and how you feel. Clothing also affects the earth you live on, the water you drink and the other women around the globe. And so this, you know, light subject that we thought of when we were, you know, getting rid of our tights and our high heels and our um, fancy suit jackets really is an interesting kind of mm -hmm. exploration of how our own personal choices have this r ripple effect on mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, how do you think this, how do you think all of this is going to change the way you think about clothing? So, you know, it's interesting. How does it change the way I have been changing the way I think about clothing, primarily because of what you talked about in the environmental piece, right? And the and the working and the women working around the globe. Mm -hmm. So I've been on this jag for a long time about only buying used. I only buy used clothes unless mm -hmm. it's something really, really extraordinary, like that I love. Like, but I it's been very rare for me to buy a new piece of clothing. Um, I think where it has where I have had the most interesting kind of conversations with myself, you know, which I'm always a little skeptical about my conversations <laughs> with myself, but these ones have been really fun, which is about, about in my own kind of personal world of women at work, right? What does this really mean for women working? Because as you can see, I started my career being outraged about open-toed shoes. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm wearing you know, skinny jeans, skinny pants and boots. Right. And yeah, absolutely. Have I worn open toes to, sh to work now for sure. I've got super cute sandals. I wear to work. Right. So 
I think what this has really done for me and kind of in a bigger way is it's given me an opportunity to think about, okay, why am I wearing this? How do I feel? What am I expressing about myself? If anything, I recognize now the power of clothes, not just in my personal experience of the world, but in the experience of the rest of the world, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I also have been thinking about how, there's a big racial overlay to this, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. In how, you know, women of color are allowed, quote unquote, by these societal expectations to dress or not, too colorful, hair too wild, whatever it happens to be. That has been something that I've been like, dag, Kirsten, like this, I'm having these experiences. I'm looking at how women have been boxed up, as you said, right before, you know, I think I use the analogy of being boxed up, but I think it's your concept. And then just how it affects women of color. And um, so sometimes through these subjects that we think are just so light or whatever, you know, just so, oh, clothes, da, da, da. And then I listen to all those TED Talks, right? Yeah. And what I've really come down to is that I think clothes are this powerful social, political, and environmental tool, right? And the thing when I, like, what is it, what is it that I come away with about this episode? What do I come away with? It's, it frankly is authenticity. Like we dig into that and that comes up over and over again. And I say that word and I'm just like, you know, authenticity, which is when we all get to be ourselves, right? Yeah, yes. Which is so beautiful. It's not just beautiful for our own experience. It's beautiful for everybody else who's experiencing us, right? Yes. And so this is a way for us to be authentic with our values and what we believe the world should be like and how we just live with ourselves and other people. So I know that's crazy. And I'm like, why the fuck am I so emotional? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) But I guess what I'm saying is I'm not. I'm emotional about the authenticity. Yeah. You know, this opportunity for more authenticity. This whole notion of authenticity. Yes, Kirsten. What you're saying is through this process of exploring what we wear, what we don't wear, what we buy, how we judge others, what we think it says about them, what it says about ourselves. It's all this opportunity to really explore and push back on something that, you know, we are choosing every single day. We are putting clothes on every single day. And sometimes multiple times and a day. And sometimes multiple times a day. And so, yeah, it is. We can be conscientious of it and mindful of it. We can be authentic. We can hopefully have our clothing be an authentic expression of ourselves and an expression of our values. And I think that really, for me, is also kind of where it's at. It's what do you care about? Who are you? What are you putting on? It matters. Yeah. It does. And then here's the other thing, too. I feel like if you're kind of thoughtful in the beginning, you know what I mean? Then maybe you don't like I really appreciate being able to walk into my closet and pull out something in 30 seconds that's super comfortable because I've already got it there. Right. So I just don't think every time I put on an article of clothing, I have to give myself all this angst. Right. Angst. You know, we still want ease, right? We still want <laughs> and joy. Ease. Yeah, but you gotta. Th- yeah. yeah, it's an opportunity to think about 
all of this and yeah, ex- have an authentic ex- expression mm-hmm. of ourselves, which is where the tears came from because you love that. We're all on this journey. We're all on this journey of discovering yeah. and, and expressing that authentic self. And that's the key to ease, meaning, and joy or one of yeah. the many keys. That key I, ring is pretty big. I don't big. know, Karina. I think the authenticity part, it's like, yeah, I just think that this keeps coming up again and again for us in all of these and con- so many of these conversations. Yeah. 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 I think it's big. I love it. I'm so glad you brought this light and easy topic. Yeah. Thanks, the Barbara. In tears. I love that about it. It's just so phenomenal. I can't, I can't I'm pinch myself. I can't stand it. Okay. One more, maybe one more remote, remote recording friends. And then we're going to be back at, in the saddle. Happy. With our fabulous sound system. And we are getting closer to spring, too, of every turn. So, a so lot. Stay of, resilient. Stay lot, resilient, friends. A lot of things to look forward to. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Karina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Karina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. listening.